studying the book of Acts, and today we're going we're gonna to finish it. It's our last Sunday. We didn't do all the chapters, because there's a lot going on in Acts, but uh, we've, we've covered a great, a great bit of it. Today we're going to finish with Acts chapter 17, so if you've got your Bibles, certainly uh, encourage you to get them out and, and turn to Acts chapter 17. Uh, today, uh, you know, Paul was a guy that kept moving around. Paul, Paul was a busy man, and he moved around, and so today uh, we're going to pick up uh, right where Pastor Cindy kind of left off last week with the, the chapter before, and we're going to see about Paul's experiences in Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. And so uh, to get started, why don't we read Acts chapter 17, the first 10 verses, verses 1 to 10. It says, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as it was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters. <laughs> I love that. They rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. I, do you guys know any bad characters? Have you ever had to deal with any? Okay, you know. From the marketplace, they formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials shouting, these men who've been causing trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, and then they made Jason and others post bond and let them go. So Paul and, and Silas, they, they leave Philippi, and, and you know they travel through these towns, right? It tells us they travel through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they get to Thessalonica. And you know, really, one of the, the phrases that we read that has always struck me and I love is it, it says when they got there, it says, as was his custom. As was his custom. Paul went to the local synagogue for three Sabbaths, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and explaining and proving that Jesus was the Messiah. And verse 4 and 5, as we read, tells us that as a result of that, as a result of Paul doing as his custom, going to the Sab you know, going to the synagogue, and speaking, that it says that some Jews believed and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But isn't it interesting? Some of the other Jews became jealous. Became jealous, it says. And so they decided to make it impossible for Paul and Silas to remain in Thessalonica. So what did they do? They rounded up some bad characters, okay? and. They started a riot. They created a mob and they started a riot in the city. Is it interesting to you that the Jews who rejected Paul's message became jealous? Why do you think they would? Why? It's a question. 
I mean, I, I could understand a lot of other words there. They became angry, they became resentful, they became something. But why do you think it would tell us that they, they were jealous? What do you think? I think it's the anointing upon Paul. Yeah. That they were jealous of. The anointing that was on Paul. So that was drawing people out of their sect. Okay. So it was, the, they were kind of jealous because it was competition. Right? There was, there, was, there was another option. Any other thought? Paul was getting attention. Paul was getting attention. No, that's exactly. You know, I think there's, those are really good things, right? It's, it's almost like uh, they, could, they could deal with, I mean, they themselves were rejecting the message of Paul, but they hated to see someone else getting attention going to it because it was pulling away from them. I think those are really good answers and likely the, the reason, and, and isn't it also, you know, you know today, right, when, because of the internet and, you know, cable news 24-7 and all that, I mean, if someone says to you, this is happening all over the world, well, I mean, it really could be, right, because we have this sort of view. I just found it sort of interesting that when these guys want to complain to the Roman officials, that they say, these men have caused trouble all over the world. I mean, I don't know that they really knew that, okay? But I think they were just trying to create problems. And they, knew that, and they knew that when they got in front of the city officials that one of the ways for sure, because the Roman officials wouldn't really care about the religious of the people because they were kind of like, that's, you know, that's your problem to deal with. But they knew that the one thing they could say that would stir up the Roman officials as well is when they said, and these guys are, are defying Caesar by saying there's another king. A guy named Jesus. So, I mean, they, they, they did understand how to pull the strings of people to get, them, to get them wound up. So they not only had the Jews who were jealous and were not liking the fact that there was attention going to Paul, but then the way they stirred up the city was also by, by getting the government involved, by telling them that these people were defying Caesar. And so what happened? Everybody got worked up, and verse 10 told us that as soon as it was night, uh, the believers sent Paul and Silas away. So they left Thessalonica. So let's go on with them. So now, starting in verse 10, it says that as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left him, and then uh, left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Okay, so they're in Thessalonica. They preach the word of God for at least three Sabbaths. People get jealous, they stir up a crowd. To protect the believers who remained there, they think these guys need to leave and move on. So they, they take them, they send them to Berea. Now when they get to Berea, Berea is about 50 miles from Thessalonica. 
So now, for you and me, that's not a great distance. Okay, that was still a pretty good walk for Paul and Silas. But it says they got there, but as soon as Paul and Silas got to Berea, verse 10 says, upon arriving, they went to the synagogue and began teaching. Because that was his custom. Now, I was just thinking to myself, I try to look at this stuff practically. Okay, I mean, real life, it's real people. And you think about it, Paul and Silas have been working in Thessalonica, a crowd gets stirred up. They basically get run out of town under cover of you know, darkness, kind of. They, they go straight to Berea, and it says, and that's 50 miles. So that was not a, you would be tired, right? I mean, just physically, you've already come from a stressful situation. You, you're leaving not knowing that maybe some of these guys are going to chase after you. I mean, Right? They, did, they didn't know what was going to happen. And they, they get to Berea as quickly as possible. Is it fair to say that most of us, after that, when we got to Berea, would look for the closest, you know, Hilton Garden Inn <laughs> that had a pool? <laughs> no, you know what I mean? And, and say, hey, we got work to do. We got to get back to work. But guys, we, just, we, we need a break. We, let's, let's at least take a day and just kind of collect ourselves, do some laundry, you know, have a good meal. I mean, if they, were, if they wanted to be all business, they could have said, let's take a day and let's talk about, you know, what went wrong in Thessalonica and how we could do it better here in Berea. I mean, something, right? I mean, that's, that's the way we would think. But they got there, and it, and it says that the minute they got there, they went, to the, they went to the synagogue and began, and began to teach. Uh, I, just, I just think it's amazing. But I guess I want to ask you, why do you guys think that Paul and Silas immediately went to work when they got to Berea? They went to the synagogue and immediately began to teach. Why do you think that? So Paul just didn't want to didn't want to take a break, just keep moving. Yeah. I think it was the urgency that he had in his spirit about it. Uh, okay, Paul Paul felt compelled to keep going because of an urgency in his spirit. Yeah. I think he wanted to make he wanted to make sure that um, he could get, you know, the work done because he knows that those the news will spread. Yes. That's, I, I think those are all, those are all probably part of it, right? I mean, is it, I, we, we know this for sure. We know that Paul felt compelled, right? We know that Paul was being led by the Holy Spirit. He had, he had this urgency. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, Paul was this guy who for, for a long time was killing all the Christians he could get his hands on. I mean, he was a zealot, Right. And so, if you will, he was strong and zealous on kind of this other team. When he came over here, and now he's a follower of Jesus, he was equally, he was the same guy from a personality standpoint, right? So, I mean, he's still this driven, hardworking, 
committed guy. And so I think he, he, that same power, that same commitment that drove him. But now he's not only that in his personality, but he's also being empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. And so that gives us not only the power, but a sense of urgency for people to hear the word of God and be transformed. And probably also because he knows that where he goes, trouble, <laughs> trouble seems to want to find him. Okay, because the enemy's not happy. The enemy's not happy when the word of God's being preached and lives are being transformed. The enemy does not sit back and go, well, I guess Paul had another good day. I wonder what he'll do tomorrow. The enemy is saying, how can I get in there and mess this up? How can I, how can I diminish his effectiveness? And is that what the enemy does in our lives? His, his best, I mean... When you really get down to it, life is simple, isn't it? It's really simple. Okay, we have, we have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living within us that's giving us a desire to live as was his custom, to do, the right, to do those things of God daily with, without having to make a plan. It's just as was his custom. You know, I remember when I was a kid, and I don't know if you were this way or not, but I used, for, for a long time, I would get up on Sunday morning when I was a kid, you know, and I would ask my parents if we were going to church today. Now, that's kind of a silly question because you know what the answer always was? Yes, of course we're going to church today. Because, because back when I was a kid, see, I didn't live yet as was his custom, but that was what my parents did on Sunday morning. There was no question. There wasn't like, you know, if a special TV show was on or they'd been out late on Saturday night or, you know, whatever, you know. It was, no, on Sunday morning, we're going to be in church. Okay, but I asked for a while. Okay, well, I don't ask anymore. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're going to be here every Sunday. You know? but, but think about it. When Paul went to Thessalonica, when he got to Berea, there wasn't a question about what are we going to do next. It was, we're going to go, we're going to share the word of God, because that was what they, they knew, and they knew there was a, a sense of urgency to it. And, and you know, we're really called to live the same way. There's a sense of urgency to our faith. There's a sense of urgency to what God has called each of us to do. So, and, and so, you know, Jacques was right, right? You know, news travels fast, and so what happened, right? Well, after Paul and Silas had been in Berea for a little while, somehow word got back to Thessalonica that, you know, that when Paul had been, you know, rolled out of Thessalonica, he had landed in Berea, and now he's doing the same thing over again, and so those people in Thessalonica can't be satisfied with the fact that they just ran him out of town. Now they want to go to where he is and cause some more trouble there, just in case trouble hadn't already found him. They want to make sure. And so <laughs> I'm sure those troublemakers, that the, 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 what are they? those bad characters, <laughs> okay, those bad characters, you know, which probably means those guys didn't have jobs. They had time on their hands. So when somebody says, hey, if you'll run on over to Berea and stir some stuff up there, you know, I mean, they were probably, you know, guns for hire, you know, ready to go, ready to cause trouble. So those guys go to Berea, they stir up the same trouble, and it worked. Because what does it do? It creates fear. And, you know, one of the things that really strikes me as we've studied about Paul, that Scripture never says this, but if you will, just my own interpretation. Paul was a guy who, as he became a follower of Jesus, was ready 
to go anywhere and do anything and pay any price for what he'd been called to do. Okay, but that didn't mean he was willing to make you suffer too. Do, do you follow me? He, it doesn't mean he was willing to put you in harm's way because of what he was compelled to do. Because there's a part of me that thinks, I mean, Paul is this, this powerful speaker, preacher of God's word. And so there's a part of you think, well, when these troublemakers come, why wouldn't he just tell them to go away, you know, or, or, you know, or, or say, I'm going to stay here and fight? Well, Paul knew that what, who would hurt, who would be suffering, would be the local believers. Because at some point, Paul would move on. They would have to stay there, and, and they had to live in that environment. And so I think when the believers said, Paul, we need you to leave, I think Paul was doing, not, not because Paul was afraid. I think Paul was leaving because he had concern and care for these new believers in Thessalonica and in Berea, and he didn't want to see harm come to them that he, that, that he had caused, that he had brought. And so what happened, it told us that... Um, that, that immediately, you know, they sent, they sent Paul to the coast, okay? And so they sent him to Athens. And, and, and so he went on to Athens, and it says uh, Silas and Timothy remained in Berea, but then ultimately they move on to join Paul in Athens. So now let's read about his time in Athens. Starting in verse 16, it says that while, while Paul was waiting for, for Silas and Timothy to join him in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to, to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said, this is because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent all their time doing nothing but talking and listening uh, to the latest ideas. So Paul stood up at the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him to find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the, that the divine 
being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So Paul, while he's waiting for Silas and Timothy, he's, he's touring Athens. He's going around Athens, and he sees that the city is full of idols. It also tells us, as was his custom, he's in the synagogue, regularly teaching. But he's also in the marketplace. He's out where the people are. He's reasoning with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. And then it says that one day a group of era Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were in the crowd, and they started to debate with him and ended up inviting him to the Areopagus. Now, I always figure when Scripture points out a specific attribute about people, there must be a reason why. And so I thought, well, if they tell us that there were Stoic and Epicurean philosophers, that must be significant. So uh, how many of you know what an Epicurean philosopher is all about? Yeah, well, I didn't either. And how about... Now, Stoics, you might be able to guess. What do you think a Stoic philosopher, what do you think any attribute of that might be? What's that? Very, very yeah. When we say that someone is Stoic, what? No emotion. Exactly. So actually, so you know about the Stoics, okay? So, so Epicurean philosophy, and I'm not trying to give you the total, you know, deal, but a few kind of key phrases to, okay, when I looked it up. Epicureans uh, reject superstition and divine intervention. They actually believe there are like little g gods, but these gods have no interest in the affairs of humans. They're kind of like off just living their own, you know, life, but not in, involved with humans, okay? Uh, they, they believe that people should live peacefully, without fear. They also think that when you die, it's just all done. There's, there's no reward, no punishment. It's just life is life, and then you're gone. Okay? But they do believe that people should live morally, but for the reason of that normally that leads to a more pain-free, peaceful existence. So it's just to improve the quality of your life while you're here. So that's the Epicureans. The Stoics... It's a moral, a moral philosophy. It emphasized discipline and mastery of emotions. Okay? To arrive at a wise, rational, peaceful mindset. Stoics are unmoved by joy or grief. That's okay. Unmoved by joy or grief. They say you focus on what you can control, and the rest of it, you just accept what you can't. Okay? So now, now that we know a little bit more about Epicureans and Stoics, okay, when they met Paul and they heard about him, why do you think they would want to hear more? Okay, they're, they're curious. What else do you think? 
that they agree with and don't agree with. They want to understand why this differs from what they believe and the person is saying they don't. Good. They, they, they want to understand more. They're open to new teaching. Sure, they, they may have been hoping that by finding, by hearing more from Paul, they would figure out how to go in and, and, and convert him. Okay, well, no, that's, that's really, you know, but isn't it interesting that, that, these, that these secular philosophers were open to hear more from Paul? When they heard the message, they didn't immediately get jealous. They didn't... Do you see? They, they were at least open to, to say, let's, let's understand more about this. Okay, so they invite him to the Areopagus. And, and so, uh, you know, the Areopagus was this, this place where the, the leading, before Athens became a democracy, this was the forum where like the leading citizens, the, the, the most important people of the city met and kind of provided leadership for the city. Okay, so it was like going to the government, if you will, of that time and speaking to them. And you know, one of the things that I, that I see that Paul does when he gets in front of the Areopagus, that's really smart and it's probably good lesson for us when we talk to people about our faith, is that the very first thing he does is he compliments them. He doesn't come at them with a, you know, you're in trouble. You know, boy, is your life a mess. <laughs> well, no, okay. The first, remember it says that when, while he was waiting for Paul and uh, for Silas and Timothy, he was touring the city. And he had seen all the idols around. And in fact, he had seen an idol to an unknown God even. And so the way he starts out, the first words he says when he's in the Areopagus is he says that I see in every way you are very religious. Now that had to make them feel good. Because they're probably going, well, yes, we are. <laughs> but, but think about it. When, when you want to talk to someone, it's a lot better to, to get their attention if you could start out by saying something complimentary to them so they immediately don't you know, put up their wall, and right? And so, I mean, he's, I see you're very religious. And, and in fact, I, I even found that you're so religious, and you, which means you don't want to like miss anything, that, that you've even got an altar to a God you don't know, to an unknown God. I mean, I guess that they wanted to have all the bases covered, right? They didn't want to like somehow come up short one. And so they figured if there's one we haven't found, we'll just have one over here with an unknown, with an unknown name. But then Paul, but see how Paul then uses that? Because he's learned something about them before he tries to talk to them. He doesn't grab them cold. He actually wants to show them that he understands something about them. You know, if somebody's trying to teach me a lesson about something, I mean, we all know the thing about show people how much you care, you know, before, okay. You know, I mean, I'll listen a whole lot more if I think you actually know me. If I think you actually care about me. I'm way more open to coaching or correction or whatever, right? Because I know it's coming from the right place. I know it's coming from caring about me, not wanting to beat me down. And so Paul says, I, I see you're very religious. And, 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 but 
I even saw that you have this, uh, this idol to a God you don't know to an unknown God. So he says, what I'm here to do is to introduce you to that God. Well, now, if they have a, think about it. I mean, just logic then. Now we can be the logical, stoic, and Epicurean philosophers, okay? If you've got a, an idol to a God with no name, and someone said, I want to introduce you to that God, I think you'd be willing to listen because you've already acknowledged that there may be a God that you don't know, and now here's, here's somebody going to tell you about that God. And so, I mean, I think, the, boy, when you talk about the wisdom of the Holy Spirit guiding you and helping you do things that could be tough, I mean, think of how badly this could have gone for Paul in Athens. He doesn't have Silas and Timothy there as backup. He's there on his own. I mean, if he had gotten in trouble, he would have been alone. But, but look how the Holy Spirit has, has, has given him wisdom and given him eyes to see things and to understand so that when he gets the, when God places him now some days later in the Areopagus, in this moment, this opportunity to speak, he's got exactly the right way to say it in a way where people will listen. Aren't you glad God does that for us too? Can anybody ever think of times, I mean, you don't have to give, you know, I, I'm not asking for, I'm only asking for a show of hands that you get it, not that you don't need to tell me what it is. But can you ever think of a time when, when like, you really could have said the wrong thing and it could have gone really badly, but like, like, and it's not like you could have practiced and known in advance because you didn't know you were about to have a bad moment, but the Holy Spirit just really gave you exactly the thing to say? Yeah, I think most all of us, okay, I mean, isn't that amazing? Right down at our little, you know, our little everyday level that the Holy Spirit does that. And that's exactly what he did with Paul here. He equipped him to have exactly the word to say at the moment to say it to the right people. And it, and it had an effect. It, it, it did what God wanted to see done. It's, it says that, uh, you know, as a result, people became followers of Jesus and it named, it named some of them. Um, so we, we've kind of looked through, uh, you know, chapter 17. And, you know, what I just see there when, when I look at it, it kind of from that 50,000-foot level, you know, the high level down, you know what I see? I see here's Paul walking out his normal pattern of life, it's as, as was his custom. He's in this particular chapter. He's in three different cities. He's in three different types of settings, religious governmental and secular in all those and he's got three different kinds of responses there were the people who outright acceptance ongoing study of the scripture and outright rejection so just in this one chapter we we see a wide range of settings and opportunities and outcomes and so i'm i'm looking at that and i'm just thinking okay what are we supposed to learn from this? You know, what, what is it that we can take away even from this, this section of Scripture? And, and so it really gets down to what do we want to learn from Paul's life and what does Paul's example teach us about living out our faith? Because, again, I really think the phrase of the day here is, as was his custom. As was his custom. I mean, Paul, a lot of us, if I said to you, okay, you know, next Saturday... We're gonna go, we're gonna go out and stand on street corners and share our faith. Now there's a lot of people, I won't ask for a show of hands, but there's a lot of people who are immediately thinking, I'm glad I'm busy. 
oh, I'm glad he said Saturday and not Friday. You know, I mean, okay. No, okay, but, and, and look, I'm not, this is not a guilt thing. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, okay? But, but here's the point I want us to maybe acknowledge. For a lot of us, talking about our faith almost becomes a special event. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like something we gotta like get ready for. You know, we, we, we gotta like make it a point, you know, and so I don't know if we wear special clothes or we try not to cuss for a day or two ahead of that or whatever it is, we treat it like a special event, okay? And, and okay, but I guess what, I'm, I'm, what I took from today's passage, and I just would like to simply share with you a couple of ideas, but because they're really, none, everything I'm going to tell you from now till I'm done in just a couple of minutes, you're going to go, I knew that. I heard that before. But I just want to couch it in a slightly different angle, okay? And here's what it is, is Paul, as was his custom, talked about his faith. Wasn't a special event, it was just who he was. It was just what he did, okay? And, and so, what can we learn from that? Well, the, the, the first thing, just about how do we live out our faith, right? Like Paul, it really becomes pretty simple stuff. I didn't say easy, necessarily, but simple, okay? First thing is, Talk about your faith. That's what Paul did, as was his custom. Every place they went, he, he, he didn't, you know, he, he just go to the synagogue, go to the market. It says in the marketplace, he talked to whoever was there. Remember in, in, in Athens, said when he was in the marketplace, he just talked to whoever was there. So talk about your faith. For Paul, it, it was just talking about who he was. It was a part of his normal, everyday conversation. It was natural. It wasn't a special event. It was just... It was just natural stuff. But, but think about it. But I think the way Paul must have done it most of the time was the way he did it, like with the Areopagus. He, had already, he, he, he understood where he was. He understood the context. And so he spoke in terms of ways and could approach people in ways that they could receive, ways that they could, they, they could make a connection with him. So it was just as his custom. Uh, he, he was always going. Do you notice this, too? It, Paul is always going where he can be with people. Now, a lot of us, look, we get tired, and I get that. I mean, we get tired, we get worn out, we get mentally fatigued, and, and I've, boy, I'm, I'm sure, I, you know, if we'll all be honest, I'll, I'm gonna be real honest right here. There are times in my life when I wanna go home, close the door, and I don't wanna see anybody, I wanna talk to anybody, I don't, I, I don't, I just want it quiet. You know, I mean, Am I alone, or do you guys, you guys, no, do you know what I mean? No, okay, and, and I'm not knocking that. I mean, I think sometimes we need a little chance to decompress, okay? But I'm just caught by the fact that, you know, like Paul, like we start out, he, he gets run out of Thessalonica after, after serving God faithfully there, teaching in the synagogues. He does a march to Berea and immediately goes to work in the synagogue they're teaching. I mean, I'm, I'm honest. I think I would have gotten to Berea and said, I'm going to take a day off. We'll get, we'll get started Monday. But that's not Paul. Okay, that's not Paul. But Paul was always looking for opportunities to be with people and talk with them in a way that would be meaningful to their life. And, it, you know, I just, I just think it's just who he was and it's just simply what he did. It wasn't a special event wasn't a special day. It was just normal, everyday life for Paul. And so, I, I think most of you guys know this, but I mean, I think a lot of people, you've probably got experience with this in your lives. 
There's an awful lot of people who are not followers of Jesus, not even close to being followers of Jesus, but if you ask them, they would, they would tell you that they think of themselves as spiritual. Do you, does that make sense? They would say that in some, they think of themselves as spiritual. Well, I would suggest to you that they are exactly like the people of Athens with an idol to the unknown God. They are spiritual. They know there's something out there. They just don't know what it is and who it is, and they haven't been offered maybe information about the living God, the creator. And so that's what Paul did with those people. He introduced them to God, the creator, the God of heaven and earth, who gives life and breath to all. And, you know, the really neat thing is when we talk and, and think about what Paul did. Okay, Paul didn't hit people over the head with fire and brimstone. Paul introduced the God they don't know that's a creator of life and breath. And, I mean, if you will, there's this, there's this way, right, where, where we can be very negative and harsh, but what people really need is hope. What people really need is, is, is an idea of that, you know, what can be. What, what could my life be like? They know the mess that their life is in. What no one has given them is what could life be like? What, how could it be different? And that's what Paul did with everyone he met with, it would appear. He offered them hope and a, and a, and a, and a demonstration of what life could be like. So I just want to, so talk about your faith. It's just telling your story. It's just, it's just telling your story. That's all you need to do. So that's the first thing Paul teaches us, is just simply to talk about our faith. Second thing is encourage other people to read the Bible for themselves. That's what he, that, the, the Bereans, it, it says that, you know, every day they studied the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. Now, you could read that in a negative way, like they didn't trust Paul, right? I mean, you could read it that way, but I would just suggest, first of all, we're all intelligent people, but we also see that people get lied to and sucked into deceptive things every day, scams and all kind of other stuff, okay? And usually I would offer, you're way more susceptible to that if you don't know what you're, what's being talked about, if you're just totally trusting. I think these people understood that this is an important enough area of life that if Paul is introducing this to them, they should study the scriptures for themselves and confirm that it was actually accurate because it could be a matter of life and death and of eternity. And so they did. And I, I've certainly known people over my life that I worked with that have told me that they had grown up going to church, but they really didn't read the Bible. And the only time they'd heard it read in their life was like at church when a teacher or pastor read it. Well, I'm glad they heard it. I mean, I'm, I'm not knocking that, but I think, wow, I mean, in the wrong setting, you could be misled. You'd be, you know, okay, and so I just wanna, you know, we can encourage people. There's another reason that I think is, is, is an amazing thing, is if, if you're talking to someone, you formed a relationship, and they'll listen to encourage them to read the Bible, is not only can it change their lives, but think about it, Hebrews 4.12 says it's living and active. Can you think, just I want you to relate to this. There's times I read the Bible, and, and I've got a certain issue going on in my life, 
And what God, the way God speaks to me, I'm not even reading about that in the scripture. That's not the topic of what I'm reading. You know, I could be reading Proverbs about wisdom, and over here I've got an, a health issue. But just because I'm in God's word, he, he gives me an idea. He gives me a path forward, he, or he calms my spirit. I mean, God, if when the word of God is living and active, if I'm reading the word of God, it can start to change my life, even on topics I'm not reading about. Does that make sense? So, I mean, you just start to think, of it. if you can encourage people to read the word for themselves, and God's word can begin to speak to them in their spirits and touch them, and it can start to, like, heal a wounded heart. Just by reading God's word, it can start to open their eyes that have been closed to seeing God's love all around them. And, I mean, it can, like, tune their ears where they can actually start to hear the voice of God in their life. So I just want to encourage you to, to do that because it not only will change lives just from reading God's word, but it also, for us, can keep us safe from, from false teaching. Finally, just real simply, just like Paul, if the word's accepted, continue. If rejected, move on. There's, there, there, there's not, you know, we don't get extra credit for like notches in our belt, right? It, it, what, we, what we're called to do is share our faith. We're just called to share our faith, to sow seed, to be faithful. Sometimes people accept what we say. Sometimes with people, with Paul, people, some people accepted. Some people, the Bereans, some accepted, but some said, we'll just keep studying here, but we're interested. And some, it says, outright rejected. It doesn't say that with the people that rejected, Paul got mad. No, I mean, I think that's a real key point, okay? It, it never says, you can't find in Scripture a time where somebody rejected the Word of God and Paul got mad, where Paul argued back. I, I don't believe you can find that. I think what you can find is that Paul shared the Word. He let the Holy Spirit do the work. For those who, who said, it's my time, I'm ready to receive this, you bet, he was right there. For those who said, I need to study a little longer, I think he said, you know what, if you have questions later, I'll be in town another three weeks, you know, what, wherever, you know, he, he would talk to them. And for the ones who rejected it, and here's where I'm in, we've all got some folks who do not know Jesus. And they may have been exposed to it, and they may have rejected it. But you know what? They may be ready next week. They may be ready next month or next year. The real question is, will they still have a relationship with us so that when they're ready, they might think, you know what, I know now, I, whatever, you know, whatever he said to me, what, you know, I, I, I need to, like the Stoic, I need to hear more about this. They're ready to hear more. We want to make sure we've maintained a relationship, if we can at all, so that they can feel free to come back and say, I'm ready to hear more now. I'm ready to hear more. So... Let's just, let's just end this this way today. Um, you know, we just talked about our whole study of Acts. Man, we've, we've seen a guy, Paul. What a transformed life. What a transformed life. From, from Saul, the murderous zealot, right? To, to, I mean, tracking down, you know, believers to Paul, the committed follower of Jesus, ready to go anywhere, talk to anybody, pay any price. For me and for us today, I think here's the message of hope to me that comes out of this. is Who do you know then that's too far away from Jesus for their life to be changed? Who's beyond hope? Who's beyond help? 
who would have ever believed Paul would, <laughs> in his bad days, could have ever become, you know, Saul could have ever become Paul, who, who wrote, you know, how much of the New Testament? I mean, who would have believed it back then? I mean, remember, we, we, if we're not careful, we tend to discount all that because we actually have both sides of the story and, you know, tend to compress history. And it just all seems like it was always Paul. No, there was a lot of years when it was Saul, the murderous zealot. And, and I wonder today in our social media and, you know, ways of the world today is who would even allow him to change? His history, his past would keep coming up on Google searches. No, I mean, you know, I mean, if we're not careful, I mean, all, I, all I'm trying to paint a picture real quickly as we, as we wrap this up is this, is every one of us have got people in our lives. Could be a family member, a coworker, a boss, a neighbor, somebody. And, and, and right now, they aren't anything even close to a follower of Jesus. In fact, they may be so against it, it's, you know, if you stand with me, here's what I want to ask you today as we close. Just, just stand with me. We're going to close. Would you, if, when I've said that, okay, here's an easy one. Who all has somebody in mind? If you know at least one person who just desperately is far away from God and that would be the best thing that could ever happen to them. Okay, all I'm asking you to do is this, is would you commit, here's the question today, would you commit to pray for that person? To commit to pray for that person every day that that person's heart would melt before the throne of God and they would become a follower of Jesus. If you, I mean, okay, and here's the second bit. Would you commit that when, when a moment comes that the Holy Spirit creates an opportunity for you to talk about your faith to them that you would be willing to do that. Yeah, we're not bowing our heads and closing our eyes for this. This is just, just okay, yeah. Okay, that's, I mean, you know, because, see, it's not, here's the deal. This won't be, uh, 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 are you capable and in your strength. This will be the Holy Spirit leading it. You follow me? You're, you're, this, this isn't, am I any good at sharing my testimony? You don't need to be good at sharing your testimony. You just need to be willing to open your mouth and let the Holy Spirit speak, right? Even, even you know, God, he, he said, Jesus told the disciples, don't worry about what to say. I'll, you'll be given what to say. The question is, are you just willing? Okay, so all I want us to do today as we close is just to agree that we're going to all pray for somebody. And you know what? Here's the deal. You might have to pray for them for the rest of your life. I mean, I, I don't want to pretend that I'm asking you to do something that's trivial, okay? But they need the Lord. And if, and if it's somebody you really wish and hope with all your heart to see saved because they need it, would, wouldn't it be worth it to add one little line to your prayer every day to pray for them? Especially if it's a family member. I mean, especially if it's one of our kids or an in-law or you know, a, ch a grandchild or whoever, okay? So, if you're willing to do that, let's just pray, okay? You just pray along with me. Lord, today, God, we want to be like Paul. God, we want people to look back at our lives when we're gone and say, as was his custom, as was her custom. We just talked about our faith normally, every day. We shared it where you gave us opportunity. 
And Lord, today, we all have someone in our mind that we're lifting up to you. God, I pray that we will be faithful to claim them for the kingdom of heaven each day, Lord, until we see breakthrough. And Father, when the day comes, if you would choose to use us, Father, in their lives, that we would be willing to share something of our faith in that moment. Lord, that's our, that's our commitment to you. It's our prayer. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.